0: Today on Indy Thinker with Reed Huberman, we'll look at the insane way leftists view children. We'll have some explosive things to say about that that are very interesting, and we'll start them by looking at a story. The new Buzz Lightyear movie is coming out very soon, and... Pixar just reinstated a gay kiss in response to the anti-grooming bill in Florida. Great way, Pixar, to show that you're not interested in grooming kids, by the way. And then we'll look at TikTokers and how they're shoving body positivity down on their kids and how that's detrimental to their health. And then we'll round things out in our final segment, Christianity Not Today, and we will look at John Cooper, the lead singer of Skillet, and his explosive response to Phil Vischer, the lead singer of VeggieTales. It's kind of a joke. But nonetheless, his explosive response to deconstruction and how we need to pay attention to that. We'll talk about that and so much more all on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for watching today. Please do us a huge favor. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you wanna obey scripture, then you need to do that. And of course, the Bible tells us to love your neighbor. And I am your neighbor after all. So please do us a huge favor by liking, sharing, and subscribing. Uh, now, before we jump into our stories today, I want to share just something that happened with my kids. So uh, after church on Sunday, we were going to get some food, and I promised my kids that they could have a special drink. We do not drink sodas in our house very often, if almost ever, and so it's really a special treat for them to get a soda. So each of them asked for, for a soda. Um, now, you may think to yourself, oh, well, are you some kind of hypocrite? Do your kids eat cake? Do they eat candy? Um, And I'll just say this, that I am allowed to be a hypocrite and a dictator in my own house. So yes, uh, I draw the line where I want to, when I want to in my own house. And so sodas is just something that I don't let them drink very often nonetheless, even though cookies and cakes and all that other stuff just be as bad for them, but they don't even need that too much. But needless to say, my oldest son asked for a Sprite. I gave him a Sprite and he drank maybe about like a quarter of it. And he said, Dad, I just don't want it. It's got too much sugar in it. And of course, I felt like a proud parent. But it also reminded me that kids are incredibly impressionable and they're gonna be, be impressed upon by somebody, and I'm gonna to fight today to show you why it should be parents. But before we do that, I definitely wanna make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by Element Funding. Our friends over at the Kevin Blair team do a fantastic job of serving first-rate customer service to each and every one of their customers, if that's not enough tautologies and repeated words. But nonetheless, it's such an important time. As we see gas prices going sky high and we see the importance for trying to make sure that we control our financial future and doing what we can to make sure that we, that we do our job, our part in making sure that we pay as little as possible. Since we can't control gas prices, the one thing you can do, though, is lock in a great interest rate right now by going to KevinBlairTeam.com and getting pre-qualified for a home loan. If you want to secure your family's future, you need to do that by having a home. There's a lot of things that you can do, but perhaps nothing more important than making sure that you get stable, good quality shelter over your family's head. And In order to do that, you need to make sure that you got a good interest rate. Guys, it's going up. You've already seen it. It already went up last. week, interest rates are going to continue to go up as we get closer and closer to the summer because this is the Fed's way of trying to restabilize things. Now we could go on and on and on about the insanity of all of it, but needless to say, the one thing you can do is do yourself a favor right now, go get pre-qualified and let those guys help you over at Element Funding. Kevin Blair and his team will make sure that you have all of your documentation and all of the things that you need upfront so that you can go on, shop for your house without fear of not getting that house. You know signed on the dotted line on the day that you need to close so they have a great stellar reputation in terms of closing and closing on time so go check them out today and let them know that indy thinker sent you all right so a while back david brooks he's a new york times columnist, columnist by the way he wrote a piece for the atlantic and it was titled the nuclear family was a mistake i've linked it below so that you can see it yourself and you can reference it but it contains as much historical revisionism as that beautiful 1619 project which you'll all be familiar with that stated that america's original founding was not in 1776 as we've all been taught but rather 1619 when the first slaves arrived arrived on ships in the new world now to be sure brooks brooks is right in his claim that for most human history societies have lived in what is called extended families or strong family units of relatives closely related to each other Uh, And more recently, those families have decreased in size to become more nuclear in nature. So a dad, a mom, and their children, whereas you might have had uncles and perhaps even cousins living under the same roof in the past. However, the way he writes this article seems to suggest that this nuclear family business is just a blip on the radar. And actually what's taking its place uh, is as the nuclear family breaks down, something called chosen families are, are replacing it or families of people choosing to live together outside of the traditional bonds of family. The big problem with this assessment is that it is almost totally dishonest. Nuclear families aren't as new as people like Brooks want you to believe. Most importantly, the nuclear family became such a powerful phenomenon in America, and it was due to the fact that society came to a recognition after the Battle of Communists and Fascists, and that is that keys to a healthy society start with healthy children. And the best way to secure healthy children is through the, uh, the bonds of a strong family structure, a two-parent household. Now, is it any wonder then that as our culture shifts further and further to the left, that the view of children has radically changed for many in our world? Now the left, historically, under people like Mao and Stalin and even Hitler, although some say he was a fascist and not a leftist, but I could defend that, but we'll push that to the side and just say at least these dictators treated children as subjects of the state rather than individuals belonging to parents. Teens and college-aged kids were essential to the disruption of the natural order, that dads and moms stood in the way of. You know, they they protected the natural order. And, and Mao knew he needed to destroy that for his social reforms. Mao knew that old people were the most resistant to change because they had the most wisdom. And young people embraced change way more easily because of their ignorance of history. So he found he had a great tool. When he removed parents from the scene and made kids emissaries of the state from these Young Chinese emerged a group called the Red Guard, a mass student-led social movement that Mao used to destroy the Four Olds. Now those are this, customs, culture, habits, and ideas that society had come to be based on. Mao successfully destroyed many relics, graves, and vestiges of the past to create his Great Leap Forward. So it was called, and of course, millions of bodies in its wake, probably around the realm of 100 million also, in order to do this Great Leap Forward. So it was simply a Marxist attempt to destabilize society in order to reinstate and recreate it in the image of Mao. This is why parents matter and should have the ultimate authority over the way kids are raised. Kids are moldable and they will be molded by someone. Now, I have a question for you. Should it be those who don't know the name of your child, your child's birthday, or their favorite color, or should it be the one that was there when they were born and provided for them every day of their life until adulthood? I'm really just saying this. There's really only three kinds of people when it comes to kids in the world. Evil, useful idiots, and good people. And you have to decide if a state organization unchecked by parents in a supposed democracy like America is really a healthy thing. We may have different parenting styles and different beliefs, but the one thing we cannot afford to do is to make the mistake of not treating our children as our most precious resource. We must do everything in our power to protect them while allowing them to slowly, in age-appropriate ways, spread their wings and become adults. Which is why we need to know about the stories in today's headlines. But before I jump into them, I just want to make one last important point because I always try to jump into the opposition's shoes. So some may say, the most unadjusted kids in societies are those who are raised by parents who are Christians and raise their kids in church. And many will ask if this is Something that we can agree with, that Christianity is not good for kids. To that, I'd say this. False Christianity is way more prevalent than you think. And yes, very damaging to kids. We can agree there. But parents who love and know God's word and who truly live out their faith before their kids in beautiful and expressive ways create the most well-rounded kids that can impact society for good. I hear this all the time, you know, pastors' kids and kids that are raised in church and blah, 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 blah. The problem there is hypocrisy, not necessarily parents and Christianity and and the Bible. It really has to do with the fact that parents probably behind the scenes aren't really living their life the way they're supposed to. But the point is is that kids are truly impressionable and that's why we need to focus on today's headlines and their impact, so let's jump into them. All right, so Disney is starting to show us how gay they really are, and by gay, I don't mean happy. So the anti-grooming bill has made celebrities and all other kinds of irrelevant people mad because they place activism before the well-being of kids, and Ricky Gervais said this best, like, just be quiet. If you do win an award tonight, Raise your kids the way you want to in your homes, but this anti-grooming bill in Florida is not a don't-say-gay bill. So since it nowhere prohibits the word gay and merely gently asks a group of radicalists not to teach sexual content of any nature, heteronormative or otherwise, to children at least until they're in fourth grade, you, you would suspect that people, even in Hollywood, could agree with this. But of course, for some radicals, that's not enough, and Disney has to be on that list of radicals. So according to Variety, uh, according to a source close to the production of Pixar's next feature film, Lightyear, which of course is about Buzz Lightyear, starring Chris Evans as the putative real-life inspiration for the Toy Story character Buzz Lightyear, does feature a significant female character, Hawthorne, who is in a meaningful relationship with another woman. While the fact of that relationship was never in question at the studio, a kiss between the characters had been cut from the film. Following the uproar surrounding the Pixar employee's statement in Disney CEO Bob Chapek's handling of the Don't Say Gay Bill, again, quote, because that's not what it's called, however, the kiss was reinstated into the movie last week. Okay, so if it weren't enough that Pixar continues to push this agenda in the background of all of its movies, now in the face of being told they can't groom kids, they've totally taken the mask off and demonstrated that they will teach kids against the, parent, the will of parents homosexuality at all costs. So there's just a couple of things that, that I wanna share here. I think we should take a walk down memory lane for a moment because there are many who, when confronted with this stuff about movies, say, oh, stop it, just don't watch the movie. Why complain about stuff that doesn't affect you? You can just turn it off, right? No, there's some truth to that. The reason why there we should say something here is that there's something different happening and to pretend that it's not different is to be utterly ignorant on purpose which is a pretty dangerous habit so here's some past animated movies with lgbtq representation first south park bigger longer and uncut in 2007 persepolis in 2016 sausage party and then in 2021 flee but i bet you can't guess what all these movies have in common that's right the lowest rating of any of these animated films is PG-13, meaning not one of them is created for small kids like Lightyear, which is explicitly created for kids. We did just with the Turning Red movie just recently, by the way, Um, and we talked about that movie and how it's supposed to be for teens, but 13-year-old girls typically aren't in the cartoon-watching mood, so it's, it's obviously for younger kids. But the second and most important thing is this. When you have a bill with the intent of indoctrinating small children into radical gender ideology, and that goes into motion, and in response to that, a company that typically makes wholesome, family-friendly entertainment reinstates a kiss between two girls like this, what are we supposed to believe about that? It has a very clear and obvious point. There are radicals out there that wish to groom children into a way of thinking, and many will object to my characteration, characterization of this, but I bet Christians can't waltz into a school in any state, much less a blue one, and create a whole course for kindergartners on the virtues of biblical sexuality and traditional marriage. Now, can we? So if we don't do that, why in God's name would you think that it's okay to indoctrinate small children in Florida with these kind of radical gender ideologies? The final thing is this. Disney has a choice to make, woke employees or the parents. I almost want Disney to go down this road because with the consent of parents, they have become the most powerful company on the planet. It was with our permission. Without us, you are nothing, Disney. Spit in our face and we'll turn the other cheek once. Spit in it again and we will walk away. Now, I'd love to see you do the same thing. Pack up all your stuff in Florida and move into a blue state. And then move into one of those states with incredible regulations, and that's a tax the rich. So there's a reason you're probably in Florida. And, and by the way, the citizens are so dedicated to activism there anyway, you will never please them. So unfortunately, we don't live in a sane enough world to agree about the indoctrination of seven-year-olds into radical sexual ideology. But hopefully, we parents can agree. Our children are ours. And we will put our money where our mouth is. And I hope we have the bravery to finally do that and say, no, we're putting our foot down and we do have the power that we've had for so long, but haven't ever used it. All right, let's jump into our next story. So according to Yahoo Life, asking the greatest question ever, how do you raise body positivity kids? Influencer moms share tips for raising kids who can love the skin they're in. This story comes within the backdrop of something much bigger, which goes back into this uh, Florida bill and to the much more largely uh, across the culture, this identity movement that's going on in the culture today, which is that uh, we are self-defining beings, that we are created in our own image, and that we get to define who we are, and that even if all of nature cries out against the radical ideology that we have, we will buck common sense, we'll buck biological realities, and we will insist upon our own way. This this is called expressive individualism by one of the uh, greatest authors I've read in a while in our modern time and in one of the greatest books, that you probably can read for yourself about this very subject, about the identity movement, and this is Carl Truman in the book The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in it, he calls expressive individualism just this idea that if it feels good, do it. Uh, Ultimately, this is the motivating principle of expressive individualism. Now, here's the real problem with expressive individualism. There are all sorts of things that feel good, maybe in the temporary but aren't great in the long term. For instance, as young girls are going through puberty and uh, they're flooded with a whole new barrage of, of emotions and hormones, it is in this moment where a lot of girls find it very confusing, the world that they're in and the the new life that's kind of been thrust upon them, that will ultimately bring them into a fulfilling and robust womanhood later on in their life. But in the midst of, of that confusion, many girls are being especially by their peer groups, and this is well documented in uh, Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, The uh, Softening of the American Mind, or The Coddling of the American Mind, uh, it, it, that when they get in these peer groups, there's this phenomenon of, of this trans ideology kind of taking shape. Now, uh, I haven't studied the thing myself, I can only just tell you this, that As we look at this expressive individualism that's kind of flooding the scene right now and we see the things that we're being told, we we are forced into asking this question about temporary and long-term and short-term and long-term results and often we find that the identity movement is causing us to make short-term gratifying decisions and sacrificing the long term in the future now you can fill in the pieces with how that's happening perhaps but there is maybe no better way to express this than just this movement in society which perhaps is on par with the transgender, uh, radical, the radical transgender movement in society right now, but the body positivity movement certainly has to be one of the most aberrant and ridiculous movements today in society, which is absolutely damaging to kids. So for those of you who don't know what the body positivity movement, you can see it from the picture that I'm throwing up right now, that the body positivity movement is essentially, as they said, loving the skin you're in, or in other words, being morbidly obese and trying to paint that as okay. Now, because we're so fixated upon being judgmental against those who are judgmental, we cannot even say right now that if you're morbidly obese or even slightly obese that you need to lose weight because all of that is beauty culture and all of that is oppressive and all of that is you know, leaning into normativity when we need to lean away from normativity because we're redefining what the new sexy is in this generation. Well, that's fine, right? To each his own. And in the past, uh, larger women have kind of been more idolized, I suppose, in society than, than presently in society. And certainly, if you're anemic and skinny and unhealthy on the other end of the spectrum, that's not good either. But the bigger problem is this, is that when we cannot call a spade a spade and cannot say that somebody who is morbidly and pre-obese and pre-diabetic, that, that that's a problem, uh, then, then we're truly walking down a path that is leading us to insanity. However, it becomes even more insane now that we're doing it to our children. So the only thing you can say about this kind of thing is don't abuse your children. For virtue points. Don't abuse your children for a small minority of people who are going to applaud you on social media and give you a couple of hearts so that you can feel better about yourself, but only to find out later when you get out of that echo chamber and you walk into a doctor's office, the doctor slaps you back into reality and says, you need to do something about this because your kids are pre-diabetic and you're setting them up for failure for the rest of their life. This is a huge problem. Now, I wanna read something real quick from this from this article just to show you how insane this actually is. <laughs> One TikTok influencer says, It's in these moments I remind myself finding self-love and body positivity is truly a journey. A journey where I can look at my beloved children and remind myself the stretch marks and the scars are proof my womb literally grew to give life to my four greatest blessings. A journey of remembrance, that softness I feel allowed my body to be sole nourishment for my babies for years on end. It's a journey of strength, wonder, and yes, one of self-love, and I think I'm okay with walking this particular journey all the way to the end. And so the big question right there is, all the way to the end of what? All the way to the end of heart disease, all the way to the end of uh, morbid obesity, all the way to the end of diabetes, all the way to the end of what? So this is where nuance comes into play. Self-love is important. Understanding that the stretch marks that you got from your kids that may not ever go away, regardless of how much exercise you do, Um, I don't know, I'm not a woman, and uh, the only stretch marks I got are from being 6'4", but nonetheless, uh, I I don't know how all of that goes, and sure, you can appreciate the fact that those stretch marks are a symbol of the fact that you have the superpower of producing a a child into the world. However, that's put to one side when we're talking about the fact that now your kids are obese, and now you need to find a way to help them love themselves and their obesity rather than to fight their obesity. I mean, we've jumped worlds apart even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, where Michelle Obama was trying to help kids get active so that they could be healthy. Now we're trying to help kids understand how to love themselves in their fatness. And the the reality is is that this is not about judgment. This is not really about self-love. If you truly love yourself, then you won't be okay with obesity. Now, before I go any further, I just wanna highlight a couple of line items here that this article goes over. So it says this, uh, and, and again, these are line items where they try to give you some tips, some you know, some insider info on how you can be truly based in terms of body positivity. So if you're gonna help your kids become body positive and pre-diabetic, here's some things that you can do. Uh, remember, kids are always watching, so um, here's what they mean by that. Because of this, I try to model, model healthy relationships with my body in every way. No, what they don't mean is kids are watching, so be a positive role model in terms of the things that you eat and the diet that you have. No, kids are always watching, so model self-love and model that you don't care about the size of your body. Okay, and then here's the next thing. Now, I love this, right? Because this is, shows you how radical an agenda item this is. It says, diversify the bodies your kids see. So in your own home, Create this Frankenstein experiment and make sure that all of your kids have diversity of body shapes so that you can exemplify diversity in your homes in terms of their body style. If that doesn't sound insane to you, I don't know, I don't know what does. Uh, so, so now it's n- not only in terms of diversity, uh, racial diversity, which is obviously a moral good. Now we have body diversity, which is obviously a made up ridiculous thing f- with people on TikTok. But it goes on. Keep food morally neutral. Don't say one food is worse than the other. Now this, not coming from dietitians, not coming from doctors, coming from people who supposedly study this stuff. Okay, the problem with that is this, is that there are foods that are not morally neutral. Cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is bad. I know, we live in the most ridiculous relativistic relativistic society in the history of the world who wants to constantly try to undermine objective reality for our kids, which by the way, uh, telling them they're not a unicorn or for all of my Matt Walsh people out there, not a walrus, actually a good thing because you're helping your kids like get out of the nonsense that comes natural to them while still helping nurture their uh, ability to make believe and to pretend but when the parents do it now the parents have become insane now we don't want that for our kids but of course it will continue on its insanity because our our final thing we'll talk about here is be careful with compliments now of course you don't want to compliment your kids on their looks or if you do you want to make sure that you compliment equally or compliment things that are obviously not good all right, so here's, here's the, the, the thing at the end of the day, everybody can tell this is totally radical nonsense, is two things. Is one, can we just once and for all say we're gonna draw a line in the sand with language? You guys are using terms and I don't think you understand the words that you're saying or they don't mean what you think they mean.
1: He didn't fall.
0: Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And then can we also draw a line in the sand between healthy child rearing and child abuse? When you do this kind of stuff to your child, what you're doing is simply experimenting on your kids in a way that's going to lead to heart disease and pre-diabetes. So that is not self-love and self-accepting. What that is, is child abuse. And we'll see how the uh, media continues to compound this confusion in the ether as we look at our very next story. So I want to show you a clip from just recently from ESPN during the NCAA Women's Championship. And this is absolutely classic. So here, here's a clip uh, with some activism in it.
1: Slation happening in Florida and across other states as well. THAT ARE TARGETING OUR LGBTQI PLUS COMMUNITIES, MANY OF OUR COLLEAGUES HERE AT ESPN, have planned and organized a walkout that will be happening at 3 p.m. Eastern today. And to be honest with you, we thought we were going to come here today and really celebrate a sport that has meant so much and done so much, including for so many in the LGBTQI+ plus communities. But we understand the gravity of this legislation and also how it is affecting so many families across this country. And because of that, our allyship is going to take a front seat. And with that, we're going to pause in solidarity.
0: Okay, so as much as I wanna jump into the journal activism here uh, in this clip, I I have to show you one thing that just absolutely made me break out laughing. Did you catch at the end of this clip the score in the NCAA Women's Championship where number 16 Howard is playing number one South Carolina? The score at halftime is four to 44. That means Howard, for those of you who don't know, scored twice, shot two baskets in one half of basketball, number 16 in the nation. Now, I'm no basketball aficionado, but I know this. The NCAA tournament brings the best of the best, supposedly, to the tournament, and you would never see in a men's competition a team that scores four points and a half of basketball. The reason I point this out is not to make fun of the stellar program at Howard. It is to state the obvious fact that the same people who tell us women are men and men are women, but yet they can't even give you the definition for a man or a woman, and then tell you that men can compete in women's sports are now telling us that we should be able to teach K through three about radical gender ideology in the curriculum. Uh, Again, strip away your media-fueled understanding of this bill. It states that you cannot teach any form of curriculum that sexually indoctrinates kids that are too young to sort through that kind of stuff. But here we have this anchor telling us that we should teach young impressionable kids the ridiculous notions that every day we see in front of our very face being refuted by basic biology and simple common sense. It might I suggest right in front of us in a basketball game as we're talking about this. I guess the big idea here is stop the nonsense. Teach reading, writing, math, and take the radical activism into your little echo chambers on social media where the body positivity moms exist. And keep it there where it belongs. And oh yeah, do your job, which is commentating on sports, not Florida. All right, let's jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. All right, so today on Christianity, not today, we are actually going to deal with something that doesn't represent Christianity at all. So we're looking at Phil Vischer and his Holy Post podcast. Phil Vischer, of course, is of VeggieTales fame. I believe he's the voice of the cucumber and he's the creator of VeggieTales. And he's created something called the Holy Post, which is basically a leftist talking point uh, podcast platform within the auspices of Christianity. And for the life of me, I don't know why he's even doing this podcast while still maintaining his Christianity, even if he does, and maintaining that he believes in the Bible, when all he seems to really want to do is to kind of mimic liberal theology. Uh, now, that may not be a fair critique, but I'm, I'm going to dig into that here in just, just a moment, and hopefully it will make a little bit more sense. But needless to say, Phil Vischer takes on John Cooper of Skillet fame in a recent post and then John Cooper responded to him. And I think what uh, Visher has to say and Cooper's response to that is is incredibly important. So I wanted to talk about it here today. So let's jump in really quick into Visher's comments about uh, John Cooper and what John Cooper is saying about deconstruction.
1: So I wanted to talk just for a bit about deconstruction because um, uh, you know the band Skillet, I like the band Skillet, I actually like their music. The the uh, lead singer John Cooper is kind of interesting because when you start actually listening to the lyrics of it's very very kind of hard rock, uh, screamy but fun music, but he kind of likes to be at war. That's that's a theme through a lot of Skillet's music: is that we're under attack, we're not giving up, we're not backing down. You know, so it's it's like '90s uh, youth group music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. <laughs> the the natural evolution of Carmen where the world is out to get us kids. So put on the the full armor of God because we're, you know, we're fighting back.
0: Let me just say, I love mocking. I think mocking has a place. I believe that comedy is something, a tool that can help you learn. And if something deserves to be mocked, it should be mocked. But for God's sake, for the love of everything holy, if you're going to mock somebody, do it with a mirror, do it with a little, you know, self-awareness. So we're talking about Skillet, a rock band that's streaming billions in a single year, and Phil Vischer, who's the most socially irrelevant Christian probably on the planet, uh, who created VeggieTales. So if Skillet, you know, not that it's even a bad thing to be a 90s youth rock band, if they were a 90s youth rock band, you're a washed-up 90s cartoon creator, So where they get off mocking skillet, I I will never know in a million years. Uh, But these brain children want to continue and try to tell us why it's so funny that John Cooper would stand up for biblical truths and stand against the deconstruction movement. So they'll go on to say great, brilliant things like this.
1: And this time uh, he said, it is time that we declare war against this deconstruction Christian movement. He's declaring war against deconstruction. He says, "I don't even like calling it deconstruction Christian. There's nothing Christian about it. It is a false religion." So, who's calling it a religion? <laughs> what is he even talking about? <laughs> so he's friends with. Hang on.
0: <laughs> okay, I wanted to stop right there, real quick, just to say this. Now they're making fun of Cooper, and they'll make fun of Elisa Childers a little bit more, and they're doing so because uh, they call deconstruction another religion. All right. And they're saying, they're not even defining their terms and what deconstruction is, and deconstruction isn't another religion. It's just people who are kind of exploring their faith and trying to reanalyze their faith. And here's the problem. Uh, They'll also, on the other hand, say, but deconstruction is so big and so, so wide that it's hard to define and you can't really pin it down. Essentially, this is what they'll, they'll say. So on the one hand, they're crying out for nuance and defining of terms, but then they're also saying, but you can't really define the terms. And here's the real problem at the end of the day. They themselves are exposing their own ignorance over at the Holy Post because they don't know that deconstruction is actually another religion because the... Decoupling that they're going to talk about here in just a moment is something vastly different than what deconstruction is because deconstruction is a very specific thing. But I want, to he- I want you to hear from them kind of their back and forth and their banter about deconstruction so that we can get to that. So here's a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I, I just think it's an overreaction. I think it's an unhealthy term. Well, it didn't d- start that way. You well, you how think many deconstruction terms did- is an unhealthy term? yeah because it's just it's just sounds like you're taking a wrecking ball to your faith you know kind of uncritically destroying i'm so mad about my upbringing that i'm throwing everything away and then i'll see what i want to bring back in so is is disentangling or unbundling a better less violent i I like re-examining my inherited tradition that's what i prefer (laughs) So they themselves are struggling to define
0: this thing called deconstruction. Some of them say you should call it decoupling, and some of them say you should call it this and that. And then Phil Vischer, like with this eureka moment, says, I don't think the term is helpful. Here's why the term's not helpful. Not only because deconstruction sounds like you're destroying something, but because deconstruction actually has historical roots and is something specifically. It's not decoupling. All right, so let's, first things first, decoupling your faith, what they mean is actually, there's another word for it that's actually more straightforward, critical thinking. And by the way, decoupling should be taking place for every Christian in all the world, no matter where you are decoupling as it were, your kind of cultural understanding of Christianity or the things that your church passed down to you or that your parents or grandparents or friends passed down to you that aren't actually scriptural doctrines of the church. Those kind of things should constantly be pushed to one side and we should understand tradition apart from true biblical doctrine. Now that's something again, hopefully all Christians are, are journeying on, but that's not deconstruction. See, deconstruction is something vastly different than that. Deconstruction has historical roots in Marxism. So I know uh, when people hear this, especially Christians on the far progressive left say, oh, the Marxists again, huh? But this is the problem, is that when you don't understand terms, you should probably shut up about them. Okay, so deconstruction comes from Jacques Derrida specifically, who himself was steeped in Marxist ideology along with uh, Foucault, and who taught that words essentially are something that, that support the patriarchy and support normative society. And that if you're ever going to truly create social reform, and why do we want social reform? Of course, because we're Marxists. So if you're ever going to create social reform, what you have to do is you have to use language and you have to undermine its meaning and you have to, to flip it on its head and you have to use language against those who would use it to uh, to insist upon a hierarchical structure or a normative structure, as it were. And so Jacques Derrida was famous for language games and trying to use language to try to obscure truth because these guys essentially believed that you should use whatever tool is within your tool belt to be able to destroy society and its norms and then from the ashes recreate something within the uh, the image of a Marxist utopia. And so this is why when you use the word deconstruction you get the flack you deserve and it is why it is another religion. Because deconstruction is not the course of biblical Christians. We are not in the habit of trying to undermine societal power. We're in the habit of trying to rightly divide the word of God. That's a Christian endeavor. Deconstruction in its truest and most historical roots is not anything that is a Christian endeavor. Not to mention the fact that it is Marxist in nature. And ultimately, what you will find yourself doing is deconstruction will lead you to progressive or liberal Christianity when, and therefore, you have another religion. This is well documented in Christianity and Liberalism, the book by John Gresham Mation, who, by the way, is a Princeton scholar who is famous among theologians for being one of the greatest premier Greek scholars the world has ever known. And if you went to seminary, or you went to master's degree program, or you studied Greek in school, you probably know who Machen is, is because because he has a famous book that was um, uh, designed to help people parse Greek words um, and to and to learn the the Greek language, uh, so he's an absolute scholar, absolute brilliant man. And in his book Christianity and Liberalism, he outlines the difficulties and the errors and the other religion of liberal Christianity. So it is another religion. And what Elisa Childers and what John Cooper are trying to say is that ultimately deconstruction, when it's done as it is supposed to be done, will eventually lead you and does very often lead you, more often than not, to progressivism and to liberal Christianity, more so than an orthodox, biblical understanding of Christianity. And they're feigning ignorance here, which brings us to the last point. Why feign ignorance? Well, there's two reasons. Either you truly are ignorant or you're using your ignorance as a tool to be manipulative. Now, I want to believe that these people on the Holy Post and Phil Vischer, chief among them, is a truly ignorant person. But actually, I wanna give them a little bit more credit than that. And I believe that they are specifically pretending to be ignorant, pretending not to know that deconstruction often ends in liberalism and that liberalism is another religion, or pretending not to really understand that deconstruction is a specific historical thing for the purposes of just pushing a narrative, which just brings us back to the Holy Post. How holy is the Holy Post? Are they merely just a leftist progressive Christian tool? And if so, then they are themselves another religion. Now, I wanna believe that that's not true. I wanna believe that these guys are maybe just struggling for content and looking for ways to try to appeal to an audience, and this is the way that they've done it. But here's the real problem, when they mock, that which they themselves know nothing about. They're either being ignorant or pretending to be ignorant to be manipulative. And that's when I have a problem. Because now you're pushing an agenda and you're not being honest about the agenda. So I don't like listening to honest people. I don't like people who mock things that are actually really, really serious and very, very important. Uh, And biblical doctrines are one of those things. And I don't like people who continually undermine those things, especially when lives are at stake not only the eternal soul of people, but also babies in the womb. So I want to kick back to something that they said, because they have this habit of constantly trying to undermine things and play things down as though they're not really happening, which, again, is a tool of the left. So here's them talking about abortion not so, not so long ago.
1: Quotes one study that estimated if if Roe was overturned, uh, abortion, the amount of abortions might decrease in America by about 10%, 10 to 12%. Um, because of lack of access from conservative states and people that can't make the drive to a more liberal state. So, that I've, everything we've been fighting for in terms of presidents and justices may ultimately have the ability to only do 10% of the impact. That we want.
0: So even if Roe v. Wade was overturned, only 10% of abortions, only 10%, guys, we're talking about only 100,000 lives being spared by a surgeon's scalpel or a Planned Parenthood's vacuum. Only 100,000 babies a year, because there's about a million babies aborted each and every year. So no, what we'd rather do is we'd like to talk to you about social justice while black babies are being sucked out of their mommy's wombs at the tune of about if we go with the statistics about thirty percent of the abortions in America and rising come from minority communities. So let's just let's just be fair and say around thirty thousand of those babies are black babies being sucked out of their mommy's wombs by the um, the radical. Uh, radical agenda of Planned Parenthood. So how much can you truly profess to to actually care about minority communities and social justice and all of these things if you're not even willing to stand up for this issue issue and just downplay it and say, oh, 10% if Roe v. Wade was overturned. So I'm tired of their nonsense. And if you're a Christian, I don't know how you in good conscience can listen to these babbling morons. And again, by saying that, I'm not being mean and I'm not just merely calling names. I'm doing that because I want to be charitable to them because they are either ignorant or evil because they wish to manipulate people with lies. So uh, you're gonna have to decide that one for yourself but the one thing I can say is this. Words may change. Definitions even may slightly change but the one reality is this that even though words are socially constructed, the things that we are trying to define are an objective truth. So, when society is doing things like trying to redefine a man and a woman, you can try to play as many language games as you, as you want to. You can, you can try to be manipulative if you want to, but the reality is, at the end of the day, a man is a biological man, and you can tell it down to their bones, and a woman is a biological woman, and you can tell it down to their bones. And you can tell it in terms of multiple different facets, not the least of which is hormone levels and genitalia. And so to play the language games of the left is to say, well, what about the person who had their genitalia mutilated? Or what about the person that has a little bit more of this hormone than, than another person? That, the, that is to obscure the fact and to play language games. And whenever people play them, you should not be played by them. You should hold them to task and hold them accountable for that kind of nonsense. To think that we have a group of Christians now, who are even calling themselves Christians, who wish to mock people who are talking about fighting against evil in a society where kids are being chemically castrated and kids are being taught to tuck it. This is no longer a game. When souls are on the line and lives are on the line, like in the abortion debate, and in terms of biblical Orthodox Christianity, which Christians should be at the forefront of defending, uh, if you're you're not willing to do that, then, then you don't even have the right anymore to call yourself Christian. Now, far be it from me to say that I have the right to question anyone's Christianity. However, I can only just tell you this. There is a definition for the word Christian, and it can be found from biblical Orthodox doctrines and your ability to hold those things uh, close to your heart and being able to espouse those things. The moment you stop doing that, then you cease to become a Christian. It doesn't matter how many times you call yourself a Christian. And, and we see this more and more in the progressive movement. They wish to say, yes, we believe in Jesus. But here's the problem with that. And, and the guys over at the Holy Post know this. Like Mormons exist, guys, and guess what? If you ask them if Jesus is their savior, they'll tell you yes. So, so they know language games exist, and they know language games are played by all of us in society, but it doesn't excuse us from the truth. And as long as we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we must believe that the truth still matters. After all, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and then the truth will make you free. Now, I know there are multiple ways to get at the truth, but destroying the truth in the process of getting at the truth is cutting off your nose to spite your face, and this is what language games do, and this is what the left consistently does. They are the ones who say they're progressing while they're constantly going backwards, and they're the ones who want to burn down the house with everybody in it, including themselves, and then they want to call that progress. But that is not progress. True progress looks vastly more like not rejecting your past, but appreciating the truth of the past. But to do that, we'll have to talk a lot longer And that's all the time we have for today. So make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reid Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.